Welcome to the Personal Power Project. I'm your host, Jonathan Stewart. Today we have Prem Glidden on the podcast. Prem is a transformative coach that has built her business around guiding her clients to see more of themselves by uncovering who they are through dialogue. She has a wealth of knowledge and quite an interesting story, which you will listen to. I found out about Prem after some of my family members worked directly with her, and the experiences they received made me seek out a discussion. Pram has led a life of searching, transforming, discovering, learning, growing, and all the while being genuinely curious. Today we get into what it means to be true to yourself. This was a great conversation, and for those of you in relationships, what you will come away with is understanding your place and the relationship you have with yourself, which is the most important one. As always, please subscribe to keep up to date on new episodes, like, follow, and if you would be so kind as to leave a review, I'd greatly appreciate it. Thanks, and enjoy the show. Perfect. Yes, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. How's everything going? It's good. It's busy. You know, I'm about to, uh, I'm right in the middle of launching. uh, I've been part of a book before, but this is my first book. And uh, there's a huge learning curve. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Lots of move, lots of pieces, and you want to, you know, before you push that button for Amazon to launch it, you want to make sure that everything is is all good, you know. And uh, so I'm kind of in that. That's it's kind of this week because I'd like to launch by the beginning of next week in time for Valentine's Day. It kind of seems perfect timing. So yeah, absolutely. How how many? I'm just curious. You know, I've I've uh, attempted writing a book a couple times, and uh, I shouldn't say. I've had books that I have on my Google Drive right. or, you know, 30, 40 pages of thoughts about a particular topic. And then the uh, interesting part is when I read it over, I'm like, you know, I could have probably said this differently or I could have probably added this in. And then when someone else reads it, they're like, oh, it was great or it wasn't good. And then I'm like, yeah, I, I, I always feel like it's never finished, you know, like, and it's tough to know when it's done. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You do have to come to that place. And I think, well, you know, this was actually written with a former client uh, and who I kind of took her on, you know, it was, it's the story of the journey, the inside, kind of the, the, the roadmap and inner journey of becoming available to love and be loved. You know, somebody who was successful in her life in many ways, very beautiful woman, and yet, you know, deeply confused about why she couldn't seem to create healthy love and partnership in her life. And so, you know, we kind of wrote it where, you know, it's her story. And, but, you know, this was a three-year pregnancy. I mean, it wasn't just overnight. And, yeah. and you know, and, and having a really good editor really helps because, you know, we sent it, we, I found somebody wonderful to work with. And then she came back and said, okay, I need at least 30,000 more words. And so then we took another eight, nine months. And so, um, you know, it, it just, uh, but also just getting that feedback. And then, um, you know, I had several colleagues look at it and just, you know, kind of say, um, you know, got feedback and because I was, you know, to get endorsements and all that. So, you know, over time you kind of just feel like, okay, yeah, this is, yeah, it's done. (laughs) (laughs) So so Prim, I, I know, uh, my sister, my mother have, uh, been introduced to your work in general. Um, and I wanted to know just to start off, uh, for those of that, for those of you that are listening or watching that don't know about Prim, like how did Prim get started? Um, how did the website Prem Glidden, uh, come to be? How did you as a 
counselor, an advisor, almost a life coach really begin? And where does it begin? Where does Prim begin? Okay. Well, you know, I think as always, you know, we always, you know, life experience all kind of comes together and begins to culminate, especially as we get older, we kind of see, oh, this piece just matters. And, you know, and, and Prem is actually a spiritual name. And so I was a, I was a young seeker. By the time I was 18, I was, you know, back in those, in, I was in the seventies and I was hitchhiking and seeking, right? I was in college and thought, okay, what I need to learn isn't here. So I started on a path back then and, you know, studied with many teachers. By the time I was 21, I was living in an ashram and was given the name Prem by one of my teacher who, you know, Prem means love in Sanskrit. So, you know, so I think, you know, it begins, you know, as we begin to seek, right? And you're curious. And so for me that my journey kind of began back then. And I'm and, just curious to not to, not to prevent yeah. any further discussion, but what made you want to start that in the first place because I'm, I'm sure there's many young folk in general who go into especially now uh, in life it's like there's just a pre-planned um, you know step as to hey when once you get out of high school you're going into college and you had gone into college I, I'd assume and then um, or yeah. if not um, I but did then, for about a year and a half yeah what led you to wanting to dovetail and well, you know, uh, you know, it's interesting because I just always had an amazingly strong guidance system, a sense of what I needed to do. And I grew up in an Orthodox Jewish family and I was the only girl. All, all my grandmother had nine grandchildren. I was the only girl. So you can imagine the, the expectation and hope. Of that. <laughs> and, and I was a little bit, I think, I mean, they loved me, but as I became a teenager, I was a little disappointing because I I didn't get, I, I always kind of was this person who, I don't know, you know, I was very, always very idolistic, but I, I just didn't get why somebody couldn't be my best friend because they were black or Baptist. Honestly, it just never, I couldn't reconcile that and questions were not welcomed. And so, you know, from a young age, it's kind of like I had, it wasn't that there wasn't duality. I mean, certainly I knew that it would devastate my parents for me to leave college, but I felt like I didn't have a choice. And so, hmm. you know, I always had that sense of something calling me and, and that I could not ignore that, that sense of it. And it was, it was never an intentional, oh, I want to hurt you or I want to, you know, I want you to, you know, I, I actually wanted to, you know, to be very happy with me, but it, I couldn't seem to reconcile it and I couldn't not be me. Yeah. And, and honestly, what really happened for me that I think kind of was the catalyst, there was a couple things. One is that, you know, I had fallen in love with a Catholic boy when I was 15, who I was forbidden to see. So I kind of had, a, there was a lot of a painful time for me back then. And then as I went into college, I had met a boy that I had gone to Florida with, a, I had a best friend who's family had money and they took me to Florida for the first time in my life. And I met somebody from New York and when he was 19, he was killed in a car accident. And it turned out that I was the last person. He had visited me at my at University of Maryland where I'd gone to school. We were going to go down to uh, Florida for Easter break. And he was a little ahead of me with finals. And I think that happening just, it just shook, you know, I was so young. I didn't really know how to process it, but I think it just, I just knew that that there was something more that I needed to learn and understand. And it was so strong in me 
mm. that I just I just had to follow it. I just had to follow it and took off with a a girlfriend and her Volkswagen uh, bug. <laughs> and what, what year is this now that you left? Uh, 71, 1971, wow. right? So you, and, so you guys are leaving University of Maryland, and then where do you go? Uh, we, we, you know, we had a little orange tent, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we headed south first, and then uh, we kind of went down to 95 to I-10 and went started going across, and then what happened is about the third night, we were camped at uh, Lake Houston, which was... Uh, place you know we had a little tent set up and there were these three guys next to us who invited us over for some uh veggie stew <laughs> and one of them had a hair down to his waist red hair and uh <laughs> you know i was 19 he was 29 this is definitely the 70s you can tell <laughs> and, he, and he had literally been a successful restaurant owner who dropped out and took on the name animal because he decided to that he was going to love all beings okay. <laughs> and that night he talked to me about um about that about just love and and honestly i i actually became a vegetarian i've been a vegetarian slash now vegan for since then since 71 so i guess now it's about 50 years 50 years and, yeah uh, but so so what happened is then that night, and he was 10 years older and very much on a spiritual path. So he was almost like my next, my teacher at that point. And he started talking about, you know, I, I never heard of things like reincarnation or uh, I never even heard of vegetarianism until, you know, it's just, I was so sheltered. So he started opening my world up and we ended up uh, traveling and camping on a beach down off the coast of Texas. You could live on the beach back then. And, you know, so I definitely had a very seventies experience and my friend was, he was with one of the other guys and then eventually the car died and we were just <laughs> hitchhiking. And, you know, honestly, back then you, it was so amazing. You know, you, you'd be at a spot with 30 other people and everybody would be kind of singing and it sounds like, you know, but it was real and they'd say, Hey, it's your turn. And people yep. would stop and parents would pick you up and say, you know, my kids are out there. So they'd take us home and feed us and give us a little money. And, you know, these are real stories. And so, you know, so that kind of began my spiritual journey. And by the time I was 21, somebody that I had met through those travels, you know, that relationship lasted a while. And then I went back to Baltimore and actually went back to school to, um, to go to nursing school. Mm. Because, you know, I felt that calling to be of service. And during that time, a friend of mine had moved into this yoga ashram and said, you got, you got to check this out. And one of the things that did happen to me uh, after David was killed in the car accident was that I had gained a lot of weight. I mean, we're talking about 70 pounds, I was over 200 and I couldn't even barely sit cross-legged, but I went to this yoga center and there was just something there again, mm. that experience of, okay, there's something here for me. And I started going and back then, if you wanted to move in the ashram, you had, you know, they did a morning practice every day at 4 a.m. Wow. And you had to be there. You had to come for 40 days before you were allowed to even move in. And I, I, I literally moved across town to be near the ashram and I started going. And again, it was just something inside that said, this is your path. And you can imagine, I mean, 
living in the ashram meant that you were, you know, I don't know if you've seen Sikhs, American Sikhs around, but I, that was the ashram and white in a turban, which as you can imagine, didn't go over great with my family, but. I'm just curious, was this spiritual awakening a, 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 a religious one too? Like the search for, like you were in college and it was like, hey, I don't know what I believe. I was raised Jewish um, and I don't know if I believe in God or was it, or was it spiritual in the sense of after the death of David, um, you felt like there's something more to life for like my own happiness or a little bit of both? You know, it, it religiously, I, I, I think for me, the reason the ashram resonated is because one of the beliefs of the ashram, I mean, I think I always believed I always believed in, in God creator, but for me, what that always, I never had a sense of a something separate than me. Mm-hmm. And, and, and again, I couldn't have put that in words, but that was just a sense that I had of, of life being an extension and all of us being this expression. And yeah. so the ashram it reflected something that resonated with me. And mm-hmm. because I wasn't looking for a religion, there was a religious aspect to it, which never really, I never really kind of, jumped into for me it was more about it was more you know honestly for me it was about the discipline because i really never learned any discipline mm-hmm. i had a serious sugar addiction and i really never my family was not a family that exercised so i had no practice as far as any sense of discipline so i saw it as as tools to yeah. support me and something that just resonated with me and and would give me give me yeah tools for life you know mm-hmm. i think it was more about that and because i was never looking for a, a religion i i already had that sense of spirituality and 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 to me my experience because what i had felt when i was young was that at the time you know that religion separated people mm-hmm. and i was looking for unity i was looking for gotcha. beliefs that that resonated with me because i did not see that separation mm-hmm. and so you know, so living in the ashram, what started to happen, I, I was there in Baltimore, where I'm from, and then I ended up moving to the ashram in, in Tucson, and at that time, that ashram ran a kind of a drug and alcohol rehab program using vegetarian diet, juicing, yoga, meditation. I mean, they were way ahead of their time, and literally, people with serious addictions would come, and it was recommended to me because of my own addictions around food and, and to go and spend time there. And I had just finished nursing school. I thought I was going for the summer and, and, it, and my whole life changed. You know, I got there and again, the next step in my path, you know, I, yeah. made the, the, I mean, and the, this was amazing. Again, this was, gosh, what, 1974, I think, 73, 74. And they had purchased an old fraternity house on the University of Arizona campus. And there were 65 ex-hippies living in this house, getting high now on yoga and meditation. And the director was a total yogi. And I remember going in there and he just, he said, you know, he called me to sit with him and he just looked at me and he said, you, you just, you don't know who you are, do you? You don't know your, your beauty. And I, and he said, okay, you and I are going to fast together and I'm gonna do it with you. And we did, and then I, you know, and then he said, we're gonna to walk together. And he he just saw something in me that I didn't know. So it was like that was began to awaken me connecting to that deeper truth. And so that was, you know, that journey. And I, um, I stayed in the ashram about 20 years. You know, I-, I Wow, I so you got, stayed in, in Arizona? No, what happened is I, I had gotten, I got 
married and um, and had a beautiful son. He was born at home in the ashram there. And, um, you know, and so I kind of, my, what, what happened for me is a little bit backing up is that, you know, with the nursing, I had started working on um, OBGYN floors in, ho in a hospital. And what I saw, I, I didn't just made no sense to me. Women being forced to lay flat on their back with their, you know, it just thought, no, that's not about, how you birth, right? Tell, that's me, not tell, tell me about that because I have right. some interesting thoughts around that topic as well. Yes. Like, so, what did you see? And what well, did you it see? didn't make any sense to me, but again, I, again, I, you know, I have these strong feelings. I don't know, but somebody said to me, okay, you need to read Spiritual Midwifery by Ina May Gaskin. And they gave me that book. And then it was like, okay. So what happened is, I went when I went to Tucson in Arizona. Mid home birth was was legal, so I became like I got certified as a Bradley instructor. I started teaching prenatal yoga, and I started supporting women and you know in in birth and walking and being present to to having spiritual birth. So I got involved in that in, in Tucson, and then I got married. And after about five years, my um, son's father didn't really want to be in the ashram anymore. He had moved in very young. And so we, he kind of left. And so I was left there with, you know, my son was about a year and a half. And about a year later, uh, I ended up, you know, so not too many long stories, but uh, our, oh. teacher would, our teacher would often put us together. And he kind of, the director of the ashram in Fairbanks, Alaska was, interested in me and uh talked to our teacher who talked to me and there i went from arizona up to fairbanks to become the director co-director of a center with nine people in alaska with wow. my son my son in tow who'd never worn a coat and was not very happy about it being 30 below <laughs> i was going to say the change in temperature probably just threw threw you guys for a loop right right but again what what that experience was about for me because i was only in my 30s at that point i really wanted everybody to like me and so and when you're the the director of the ashram suddenly you kind of become everybody's mommy and daddy a little bit mm -hmm. and so you know people wouldn't do their karmic you know, their vacuuming on their you know i and of course so it just again was such an opportunity for growth for me because i it was painful you know i wanted everybody to like me and and I didn't like having to be in that role and yet I had to be, I was in a leadership role. And so again, you know, we slowly grow into that and, and we lived there um, almost 10 years and then got an opportunity for people's kind of, you know, economy in Alaska started to die. We had an opportunity to start a business in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is my second husband. And at that point, my son was about 10 years old. So he had kind of grown up a bit in Alaska was quite a good skier and all of that. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we moved right from a dirt road in Alaska to the middle of Chicago. And um, what happened that really we still, we were, we were still Sikhs, but things had started, we started to grow. We had actually started this business was part of the Sikh community at that point. And we were, it was a brokerage to be natural food brokers. And that was another passion of ours. We were very interested in natural food and organic growing and kind of at the beginning of all that. And this so, is now in the 90s? This is now, this was the end, 89, we moved 89. to Chicago. And um, yeah, so my son was just about 10 years old when we moved. You, and you were into organic before it was, okay, right. it was cool. 
Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember back when, you know, even eating vegetarian, you know, they had those little little hot dogs in a can that were veggie dogs. And, you know, it's come a long way, come Absolutely. a long way, you know, but we used to travel with a suitcase just with food in it. So we'd have food to eat. So, so again, you know, I think all these inform, right, you know, your experience and we moved to Chicago and we were both kind of going through a lot of growth at that point. And I had actually started to work with therapists then and began to understand some of my own patterns around giving away my power and how that work showed up for me and just working on things and, and honestly began to understand that even seeing somebody it's almost like I realized I was like, well, you're connected to to God or spirit. And so you'll tell me what to do. And again, there was just a voice in me that said, you need to form your own relationship. And so it was just time to, to make a change. And my husband and I at the time were very much on the same page. And so we we went to Mexico for a month with our son and said, okay, here's what we're thinking about doing. And we still have the same values as a family, but we're not going to really be part of that the ashram family anymore although you know many of my close friends still are some are still there some have, have, are not but now was it you know, was it be the the leaving of the ashram a like point where you just felt like hey i think i can create this own relationship with yes you know and i mean there were things that we began to see that we didn't feel comfortable with and you know and i don't need to go into all that but you know again it, i think sometimes you just it's part of your awakening. So things kind mm. of come and you kind of know, you know, I'm not resonating with that. So we just, we just were like, okay, you know, and a lot learned, a lot gained. I mean, I still, you know, I taught Kundalini yoga for many years and I still practice myself. And so, mm. you know, it, you know, you know, you kind of know, okay, time to, time to grow, time to grow in new ways. And so that's kind of what happened. And so we ended up starting this business in Chicago and, I had planned to do my midwifery there and and healing work. I'd always had a very intuitive uh, sense in it with energy, and mm -hmm. uh, which is why you know delivering babies was very natural to me. Mm -hmm. And so I, but when you I got to Illinois and Chicago, I found somebody to work with. But we were literally told if we didn't cease and desist, you know, the AMA is very strong there, so clearly again guided to get involved in this business with my ex-husband and again the opportunity for me to see that I actually had skills that I didn't know I had. Isn't, you know, isn't I, that unbelievable though that you know you are skilled in a certain um, I guess craft and then the American Medical Association is like hey well we can't quantify this so you got to stop and did they actually reach out to you I mean phone? Oh, yeah. Well, they said that basically a federal agent called and asked about having a home birth and then basically told us that if we, you know, we didn't cease and desist, uh. we were going to go to jail. We both had young, young child, you know, she had a young boy and so did I. So, you know, it, you know, it was what it was. And, you know, I mean, mm. I think people are scared of what they don't understand. And absolutely. But, you know, as the way I look at it, you know, I always feel like for my own path. Okay. So suddenly I'm you know, an owner of a business, you know, mm -hmm. co-owner. And I, you know, my ex-husband was very entrepreneurial, but I had, my father was a, you know, he just went to work every day, came home mm -hmm. and his life was family. And so it was a new experience. I, I had no idea. Not only was that I was actually good at sales, sales when I believed in something. Yeah. 
but okay. that I had a lot of skill and I actually went to, they offered at the university there at that time, you could get what was called a CBA, which was like an MBA for those that already had a business. Mm. It was a certificate. And I, for a year, I went every weekend to learn because I had, it's almost like you don't even know what to vision, right? You don't even know what you don't know. And so again, this opportunity, I mean, by the time we sold our company, we had 74 employees, we were in 42 states. So we really grew that little business that started with the two of us. That's amazing. You know, his brother came and began to support us. And so, so again, you know, you kind of see like all these experiences, they kind of build on that leadership. And then what happened for me is then at a certain point, um, just the marriage was ending and he decided to, to go to move on and we sold off a bunch of the company. I kept part of it. And that was, I guess about 17 years ago. And so I was in my early fifties and I just thought, all right, now I'm going to go back and really do work. That's called my spirit really be on purpose with my work. I felt that. And so I started. Did you to feel that in the, in those years in the business, it sort of took a backseat in a way. I well, mean, yeah, I'm sure it, it does, you know, I mean, I've does. been there before. And too. I was, I was, honestly, I loved our business. I loved being in the natural food industry. I mean, honestly, the first time we went to a, like a natural brokers meeting, they were all eating cold cuts and we were like, we're going to make a whole lot of money doing this because these are food. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, we were like, yeah, yeah. We, we were in our element. We were calling on co-ops. They were like our friends. Yeah. So we were like the hip ex hippies, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were calling on. So for us, I mean, you know, I loved it. It was a lot of, I mean, I kind of even miss a little bit that natural food industry. I mean, it's changed a lot. Absolutely. But back then there were a lot of the independents and, so it was a wonderful time. I, I knew many, many of the companies that you see when you go into Whole Foods, I knew the people that started those companies. Yeah, and now it's the natural foods industry itself is like, it's purporting itself to be natural only because it's saying it's natural and then confusing a lot of the majority of people who are actually looking for quote unquote natural. Right, and, and understanding a lot. And you know, some of the companies are still privately owned. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Right. But many of them have been bought and, you know, look, Whole Foods just does, as far as I know, they have certain standards of what they're willing to take and all of that. But, mm. you know, yes, absolutely. You know, it's kind of like that catch 22, right? Absolutely. Because you want it to grow because you want more access for more people and more information and knowledge to more people. Yet at the same time, it does change the industry. For so, sure. you know, it's that. It's Can't that, have it both ways in a way. Exactly. It kind of changes it. So for me, it was just that timing and what happened is I started to, you know, realize, okay. And I started feeling pulled back and I started learning a lot of getting, getting a little bit more back into healing modalities and, and working and I'm different techniques. And, and I was led to this one technique called lifeline technique that was developed by Dr. Darren Weissman. And it was, it was interesting. It's a little of a crossover because it is, it is working with energy and healing, but it's very specific to releasing the subconscious patterns that often show up as symptoms in our life. So it was kind of like what I realized now, a little bit of the bridge to be to the coaching work. So mm. I started doing the lifeline work and a couple things happened at that time is that one is that I was, after my second marriage ended, I found myself kind of confused myself, like, okay, I'm really successful. I have a lot of understanding and I, 
what's up? You know, I don't recognize me when I get in relationship with other, with, with especially in, in a intimate relationship with somebody. I become somebody I don't recognize. I don't, what's, what's that about? And I had that curiosity and I put it out there. And the next thing I know, somebody I knew said to me, you should read this book. It was around, I guess about then, about 2005. And it was called Calling in the One by Catherine Woodward Thomas. And I love the book because it really spoke to me about calling in me. And I was so inspired by that book that I said, all right, I have to work with this woman. <laughs> I didn't know her. I never met her. She was in California. But again, I found, I don't even remember how I found the number to reach her office, but I found her and I purchased like a package of sessions. And I said, I, and I explained that. And, and she even said to me, you don't even think it's possible to create the kind of love and partnership you want, do you? And I said, no, not really. I mean, I don't have any evidence that that's possible. I mean, I had a whole story, like people tell me they love me, but I don't feel loved. Right. And, yeah, yeah. and, you know, and, and she just said to me, well, then will you just promise me not to be the reason why? And I said, okay, I can do that. I can do that. And I started working with her every single week and was amazed as I began to understand not on purpose, not, be, you know, I, we don't know what we don't know how I was the source of what I was experiencing, how I was showing up, the beliefs that I held, the invisibility that I had learned in my earlier life to avoid the conflict or the pain of what I was feeling, right? We all do, right? Brilliant. So what happened for me is then I was like, okay, this is amazing. And she, then she said to me, well, my, at the time she was, had a teaching partner she was working with. And she said, we're going to have a workshop. We've invited 50 women from around the world. Would you be willing to come? Sure. So I showed up that weekend and there were about 50 of us in the room from all over the world. And that began my journey to not only study coaching, but to begin to eventually to become certified. And so over time, I became certified as a calling in the one coach. And then I, I started learning more specifically around, um, they did work called feminine power, you know, and working empowerment as an empowerment coach and went through my certification and that. And then Catherine, who wrote the calling in the one book, went through the end of her relationship. And she, you may have heard the book Conscious Uncoupling, but then she wrote that book. And so I became certified in that work. And honestly, what happened for me is what I learned created a freedom inside me that was so healing and so amazing that I just had to share it with anybody who was interested in listening because I most, we just have no idea. We'd have no idea how we show up and we, you know, inside of old identities or inside of old belief system. And we're not even, you know, and we have no idea. We want to build connection with people and we, we end up building walls. You know, we want somebody to see us and we show up in ways that push them away, right? We just, we don't know. And I certainly did not know. It's like, you know, honestly, I say to clients all the time, the reason I, I know what's possible for you because my life's, excuse me, is an epic miracle. Yeah. And I really believe that a hundred percent. Everything that has been, you know, occurring, even from leaving of college to hitchhiking, <laughs> to the ashram, to the, to the other ashram, to the business, to divorce, yeah. 
And you have to two, from 210 pounds to 135 you know all of it has been has let me know right that life happens through us and not to us now certainly as children look this is not about that we're responsible for the bad yeah, behavior yeah. of others even of as adults you know there's a, there's an, a distinction it's like we're never responsible for the bad behavior of others but we're always responsible for the meaning we make about ourselves for the story we hold for how we feel because when somebody else is the holder of your safety or your value or your or or you're looking to them to validate with oh, it's a dangerous place well it's painful it's a yeah. roller coaster been there right mm -hmm. i get it i know that's why i know how painful it is because i woke every up every day in a 20-year marriage burdening him with being the source of whether i was lovable because i learned to made it mean early on because I was different from my family that somehow there was something wrong with me and I had no idea that I was walking around so anytime I got in a relationship with somebody I burdened them do you with, think the reason that. do you think the reason why it well if you could pinpoint the reason why you didn't feel that you could have have someone else love you what would it be is it because that you didn't love yourself or you just, you came with, you know, quote unquote, like baggage that didn't allow you to open up to this other person. I didn't trust being loved. So I developed at an early age of invisibility because being loved felt so painful for me. I was different. So I kindly, honestly, my deep, deepest center, you know, I always say, you know, some of the work that I do works with this trans, what we, what, Catherine has coined it as transformation of identity mm. and realizing that I was so centered in, I had learned this to be invisible because I had felt like such a disappointment. Mm. Right. So I'm a disappoint, you know, and because of that, I'm not safe. And I had, you know, all these branches, but the core pain of that was feeling like a disappointment. And so you, we, then we develop the stories, right? The stories come from the identity, the strategies, the invisibility, that's how I stay safe. And then the story, which, you know, obviously I'm a, you know, I'm a disappointment. It's not, I can't trust being loved. I'm going to, I'm going to disappoint them in some way. Mm -hmm. And so then I would show up. I would show, I would hold in what I really felt or had to say until I showed up angry or I showed up in ways that of course pushed somebody away, which continued to validate my story. Wow. I mean, hearing that, right. It's, it's so um, breathtaking and um, affirmative of life that it, I know how difficult it is because I've gone through similar steps in my life, um, just in terms of college, uh, finding the right person, um, making choices and making difficult choices. And all the while, it's so tough to want to be present to the person you you know you are and the person that you want to be because there's always like this separation that we create in terms of well I know this is who I am and the thing that I most ideally want to do but you know maybe I'm holding myself back or maybe I'm preventing myself maybe I can't do it and man it's it it's tough for people to even know that it's possible and it's and it's scary yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's why, you know, honestly, that's the, I think 
the, the advantage of working with someone, you know, because it's hard. I could never have done it on my own. I would, I didn't know what I didn't know. Yeah. And so someone who can hold that container that can teach you and help you begin to engage because see, there's always a reason. There's a reason that you learn to doubt yourself. There's a reason, right? And, and so it's not about self blame. I always, you know, tell people, you know, this is a no blame, no shame, no guilt zone, right? This is just, let's just put on a hat of curiosity. I think sometimes the guilt and the blame feels more comforting. And because it's, because it's so natural to us in this, in 2021 to feel like we are the cause of all the wrong in the world that, um, the reason why X happened is because of, you know, it's, I'm, I'm a bad person, you know, and it's like this self-deprecating, like just snowball that, Yeah, it's it's rampant that that self judgment is one of the most painful ways that our society suffers. We're so hard on ourselves. And, Mm -hmm. and again, you know, again, there's so many, there's so many little distinctions to it. But you know, because in the end, it really comes down to being in alignment with you. And what are your values and beginning? And, and it's not that you don't care. It's not that you, you know, it's like an, I always say it's an and, not an or, right? You can be a caring, loving person. And, you know, so many people come to me and they're like, well, I either, I'm either, you know, I'm either, you know, a bitch or I'm, you know, I'm kind and loving. It's like, no, no, you know, there's something in between there. You can, you don't have to give up kind and loving. In fact, when you are, committed to be you know to start with being in alignment with what matters to you you're your best you with everybody else and is everybody look is everybody gonna love that maybe 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 not sometimes we've trained people that it's all about them and so when you decide you know to collude you in the in the in the arrangement they they may not like it at first i certainly experienced that with a couple people And that's not on them. You know, it's, it's like you, you've built up the person you want to be ideally. And, and, and to be honest, it's, that's, that's a huge portion of it because I know for a fact, even in my own coaching business that I had um, previously is that for someone to truly take on their own role is scary because now everyone that they come into contact with, there's a different experience that they are going to receive from this person that they have put all this identity around as being, you know, uh, Susan, but now Susan knows herself. And it's like, no, I'm not, I, my relationship with you is going to be different because I'm different. And so many people can't accept or want to see Susan as Susan, as she is now, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, and honestly, you just have to, you know, be more committed to feeling how you feel and being healthy in your relationships. I mean, I had someone, honestly, who was a dear friend mm. who I still miss. It's been several years now, but who just wasn't interested in being in, who liked me more codependent. And, and I'm, you know, you have to not be willing, you have to be more committed to being healthy in your relationship with yourself than being in unhealthy relationship with anyone. And it doesn't mean that it doesn't make you a little sad and it doesn't, you know, and, and the truth is often what you find as you shift and change that people, you know, again, it's not, you know, with a lot of people in my life, including my family in particular, my, my parents are now 95 and 98. I live in Florida around the corner from them. And we couldn't have a better relationship. 
I mean, and that's certainly over the years, but I had to do that work even up into my fifties. That was part of the work I had to do around some of those still things I was holding around mom and all of that. But, you know, when, what I find is that it's really about your relationship with you because mm. when you're comfortable in your own skin, you know, you don't, you're not, you don't need anybody to be, you know, again, you, people are going to show you who they are. You know, Maya Angelou said it so beautifully, right? People show us who they are, believe them. <laughs> and, and then it's yeah. learning to manage your expectations because we get stuck in that. We, we, we go to that hardware store for milk. You know, we, you know, I heard someone the other day say something I loved. He said, he, he said, we've got, we, you know, we're, we're big people. We have 10 gallon needs and we go look, we, and we look to get that filled by pipe people. It doesn't <laughs> and then true. we make it mean something about us. And so some of it is it's skills. It's like learning to manage expectations, learning and also seeing, you know, I, I had a whole story going on about my own sister-in-law and, you know, because, you know, our family system was, uh, we don't make waves. We don't want to upset anybody. Well, she came on in and thought, okay, great. And I don't even think she, what I realized over time, of course, when before, you know, in the beginning it was like, well, she just wants to take advantage of that. No, she was just being her. Yeah. And, and so all of us felt bullied and intimidated for years. And until finally, of course, I, I was like, okay, well, this is kind of ridiculous. <laughs> and I went and said, look, I'm so sorry. I haven't been honest with you. And, and honestly, the first time I was honest with her, she did not like it. But she and I now have best relationship of all. So you have to, be, you know, part of the skills is learning to be uncomfortable. You know, sometimes we have family and our bigger intention is that we want to stay connected to family. Yeah. And it may mean that, you know, I, I've had people come to me and I can't visit my family because they're, they're toxic. And it's like, well, maybe, but maybe as you grow and you change your expectations and you show up comfortable in your own skin and you're not needing anything from them and you're able to see them from a new and absolutely by the time we were done, she was visiting her family. Now, they were still who they were, yeah. but she no longer was five years old visiting them, right? She was able to visit them as an adult and to understand, well, this is just who they are. And, you know, what? one of the biggest learnings is that who people are is information about them, yep. not about you. Yeah. And when you say that, um, you know, it, it took you until you were 50 to have, like, the relationship you... I ideally want or that you were still working on. I think if people took that out of this conversation and out of this podcast, they would realize and they would understand that you Prem Glidden at I'm not gonna say your age, but at fifty years old. Yeah, one six I'm happy to say it. I'm <laughs> now. I earned every so, year. <laughs> and me at twenty nine, you know, we tend to think that the the learnings or the growth stops and we will just have it known to the world and known to ourselves that, yep, my job, my, my relationship, my kids, it's all defined. And then you're like, no, not at all. Because yeah. it, it, you're still, if you don't keep yourself open to understanding that life is entropy and disorder and chaos you're going to fall prey and, and to it. Fun and fun. Oh, yeah, absolutely, and all, yeah. Right? All of those. And, you know, it's a, it's, it's a journey, not a destination, hmm. right? You know, there's, it, it, it's, it's an ongoing learning. Yeah, I mean, doesn't mean I hadn't done a lot of work, but I realized it my, in my 50s that I still, I still was surface with my mother. And so I was curious about that. 
Yeah. And I realized that I was still giving her power, right? And that I didn't need to do that. I was still judging her, that I was still make you know judging that she was going to judge me mm. and i really had to look at that and i had to and yes did i have does it mean that i took a little risk sure yeah. and do i say everything to my mother no of course not because why say something to somebody they're not going to get but i'm me yep. and i'm me and i had this belief that i couldn't be me and once i realized that i had to sit with that and say is do i is that true and of course the answer to that was no What's, what's that based on? That's based on what she's going to disapprove. You know, all, that's based on old stories. And I just thought, you know, she might. But it's worth. Well, is it, it worth, is it worth the cost of not being you? I mean, yeah. that's what you get to. The cost. We have so many stories and reasons that we convince ourselves that we can't speak our truth. You know, look. But, I'm not, and most of the time with cost now, we don't think in terms of ourself as an actual, I don't want to say our mind, our emotions, our physicality comes at a cost depending on what we do and what we do with that. But we're most, most of the time we're concerned with actual cost with dollars and cents without actually thinking, well, what is that effect actually going to have on my psyche, on myself of the identity I create? You know, you have to be as choosy about your words as you are about the food you eat, the people you talk to, what you do. I mean, I always say, you know, our words are our wands, right? And they're, and they have, you know, we live in, you know, even Einstein said it, we live in a vibrational universe. Mm -hmm. And, and, and once you begin to understand that it, it's, it's, it's just knowing, okay, what, what cause, you know, what effect do I want to create? You know, we, we co-create with life. And so it's becoming more deliberate and more intentional in that and knowing that life happens through you, right? Not just, not to you. And so, okay. You know, so to me, it's like that, that awakening that says, all right, it doesn't matter where I've been. I didn't know what I didn't know. Mm -hmm. Every, I mean, the beauty of life is that every moment's a new now yep. and all of the powers in the now. Yep. So, you know, if you're in fear or worry, you're either thinking about the past or worrying about the future, right? Mm -hmm. But right now, it's like, okay. And, and the other thing is to understand the frequency of a problem is different than the frequency of solution. Even Einstein said that, right? Mm -hmm. And so, and sometimes people come and they feel so stuck. And I, I just explain, you're so close. It's just that you're just, you're just staring at your problem and you can't see solutions are all around, but you can't see them. That's yeah, all that it is. It's you not, can't that see they're the not forest there. for the trees. There's not that they're not there. And, and once we can kind of soothe, right. And work with that part, you know, and kind of understand. What do you, you, know, you the issue is now with just in general that we, we don't like quiet and patience. I've, I've had many clients, uh, hundreds, if not thousands, who in this day and age, they do not know how to cultivate silence. And in fact, silence kills them mentally because now they're left with their thoughts. And it's, it's astounding to me that we're more, we're more concerned about being tuned in than being tuned out because being tuned out means uh, it's like an uncertainty. Have you come across this? And I mean, even meditation, I'm sure, um, you know, what explains that we don't want to be quiet? We're just always wanting to be consumed in a way. Well, 
you know, again, I think these are just strategies that we learn that, you know, they, they say that it doesn't feel safe to be with our thoughts. And, and, you know, and I think again, you know, I always say, you know, do, do your work with a feather, not a hammer, you know, mm -hmm. and, and <laughs> be gentle around it. You know, it's just, you know, I can tell you from down the road here that, uh, you know, it's one of the biggest things that I've learned, you know, like we're all human. There's not one of us that can't look back and say, well, I could have done that better. You know, shoulda, couldas don't really serve us. You know, I always say, you know, no shooting on yourself, just, you know, being, you know, and I think what it is, is just, and yes, I find it all the time that, you know, and because part of the work is that you have to allow yourself to get honest with what you are feeling before you can, and what, because once you've got to locate the feeling, you've got to locate where am I centered and what am I believing that has me centered there. Yeah. And, and forming, a, it's like, to you know, the work that I do helps people to form a, a relationship, you know, because we all have these parts of ourselves. And so it's understanding it's just a part of you, not all of you, you know, because people say to me, well, I, I don't do that here and here. And I said, you know, I know it's very contextual. And, you know, and yet often you will see that thread through many of your relationships, like, you know, that thread that, yeah, I don't, you know, I don't really speak up because I don't, I don't want them to be upset with me or, you know, and, and it's okay. It's like realizing, okay, let's first you name, okay, this is just where I've been. This is kind of, I always call it a tapestry. This is kind of the, the tapestry that I've created. And, and you have to be clear about that so that you begin to discern when are you, when are you 29 and when are you nine? Yeah. When you say that, uh, like the child in the person, how, how often has that come into conversation that, um, in dealing with, in, uh, you know, talking with clients that they are their child selves at, you know, 50, 40. And is it, isn't it something difficult to ascertain and, uh, speak about? Um, well, you know, honestly, it's it's a big, from for the way that I practice, it's a big part of my practice because often, no, because I'm, you know, I mean, I'm able to help someone find that and it always makes sense. Yeah. You know, and so how I frame it, of course, you know, as, you know, it, it just makes sense. It, it begins to make sense when, when somebody explains, you know, like, okay, what's your pattern? And then, you know, I don't, you know, as a coach, you know, coach is different than therapy and that we don't spend a lot of time unpacking trauma from the past. I'm more interested in how does the stories you form then, how are they impacting you now? Right. And so, so I usually spend at least one intro session just getting a little bit of history because then it always makes sense. Well, of course. And see, once I can say that to somebody, well, of course, of course you would have developed that strategy. You know, somebody has alcoholic parents or, you know, of course you're going to develop certain avoidant attachment style mm -hmm. because it wasn't safe to attach, you know, and once I can help them understand then there's a, there's a, it's like, it's like that doing it in that way so that you begin to understand, well, of course. Have you ever heard of Gabor Mate? I have heard that name. I don't know that much about, is it him? Yes, he is a, um, I believe Gabor Mate is a, a psychiatrist or clinical psychologist um, um, who deals a lot with addiction. And his whole thing with addiction is the simple, uh, I guess, um, understanding that 
addiction itself is in fact a way in which you want to experience an emotional feeling that in the past or of trauma in the past has allowed you to replicate um, the positive way. So it's like, what do you feel when you do, you know, a certain type of drug, like a, a heroin? And it's like, some people say they feel like euphoric, they feel alive. And it's like, well, what in your life has made you feel not alive? And then you start to really dig out that, well, they grew up in a home that was very abusive. Um, they had to run away. Um, they have, they never love themselves. They don't look at themselves as here with a purpose. And the drugs that they go after are the drugs themselves that make them feel the way in which they've always desired. Yeah. Well, you know, I think always, you know, I think whatever we do, we do it because we believe we will feel better in the doing of it. Right. And, and, and I think, so again, you know, holding that compassion and being understanding and just being gentle, you know, an addiction is, is there's many layers to one makes that choice and, and to help somebody be able to have a different relationship with that part of themselves. You know, Eckhart Tolle calls it pain bodies, right? And that's what happens, right? We get, we feel a trigger and it's, you know, I, you know, I call it just, you know, parts work or whatever. I know IMF kind of work, but I've never, not specifically trained in that, but it's, it's very similar, right? It's just understanding, okay, what's going on? You know, when, when that person said that, I was just doing a session with somebody and something happened, right? And you know, she's a dean at a college. I mean, she's a very successful. Someone said something. Well, she has, there's, and, and often, like you said, people go, right? And it feels, right? And so it's breaking it down and saying, no, I always got to slow down. What did you feel in that moment? I felt really angry and outraged. Okay. Nothing more, you know, I, I, you know, you're right. I, I, you know, that's, I, you know, slow people down over and yeah. over again, because most of us, and we're going hundred miles an hour a minute. And we're just it was like, true for me, you know, yeah. you, you, you learn to avoid your feelings. I remember the first time I was asked what I was feeling. I, I didn't have a clue. Nobody had ever asked me, you know? Mm -hmm. And so part of it, and, and we learn, we, we were told when we, we see things and they, and we say something and we're told we see it wrong. Or so we learn, we're taught to distrust our inner knowing, you know, so much of the journey is reconnecting with you, yeah. learning how do you trust? Because it's really about your, it, that part of you that feels that it's not this other person that they need to validate them. It's you. Yeah. It's you. They need to say, honey, I am so sorry that you went through that. And I understand how you felt. Right? And how you felt was 100% valid, but the story that you told yourself about you, about other people, about life, that was what wasn't true. The story that said, mom's acting that way because I must not be enough, or I must not be worthy, or I must not be lovable. That And that's where you've got to develop this relationship with this younger part of you. And often, you know, we, you know, it's different ages. You know, when did we develop, right? It's like understanding so that you as the adult begin to hold those feelings without going into that story.
right? So it's like, that's the journey. And it's like going to the gym. It's, it's a muscle to build because that's the go-to. When you feel that feeling, it, it immediately, that pain body's alive and it's, that's, I'm not loved. And then you're reacting. You are responding from that five-year-old or that 10-year-old and you don't even know it. And so the key is to start to discern, you know, when, wait a minute, when am I 10? Yeah. Right? Because 10 doesn't have any ability to make empowered meaning, you know, but the adult you are now does. The adult you are now is able to say, mom had an issue. You deserved to feel safe. You deserved to be, feel loved. You deserved all that 100%. But the reason that it didn't happen was because you were trying to receive that love for somebody who had issues and was not capable. It and, was never because you weren't lovable. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of that, you know, it comes back to, especially now, I, I for, something tells me just in conversation, um, I don't know, I, I've always felt like I was uh, older than I was at a young age. Like if people would say, oh, I'll give you an example. There's a uh, poem by Edgar Allan Poe called The Bells. Right. And um, in the poem, he talks about um, getting old. And this was in, I think it was in ninth grade. And the teacher, I'll never forget, she said, you know, how many of you um, <clears throat> are want, or I think she said, how many of you are afraid of getting old or how many of you want to get, uh, become old? And I think I, I'm pretty sure I raised my hand and I'm like, I, I want to stay young. And everybody was like, oh no, I want to get, I want to be older. And the reason why I say that is because when you're in ninth grade, right? You, you, uh, or I'm, I'm sure it's the same with most things. It's like, oh, you want to be like, hey, the next person driving a car, the next person dating someone, the next person who's like in college. And I'm like, no, I don't, I don't want to die. Like, I, why would I want to be older? <laughs> but even then, I've always thought about things a little bit differently um, in terms of, you know, how does this play out for the next 10, 15 years? Or what is like the intention behind it? And I think that more often than not now, um, relationships are so difficult to even create because you have social media, you have the television that's telling you, you know, you have Tinder, you have, and, and I'm, I'm completely aware myself that these are all things that I'm not saying are excuses, but it seems that relationships are just are all things outside of yourself instead of un wanting to unpack all of the stuff that you have. Does that make sense? Like instead of us becoming more aware of ourselves, we're becoming less and less aware. Oh, you know, have the nicest body, get fake boobs and a fake butt because this is the definition of beauty we have. And then the husband, oh, you know, work out a lot and eat like this and you'll get the, you know, male or female that you desire. And it's like, all of it is just making you more uncertain of, of, of your own understanding of yourself. And if doing X, Y, and Z will actually result in a relationship or a positive relationship, and then you get married and you're like, I don't even know who that person is. Well, absolutely. You know, I mean, I think 
that has always honestly been around. I mean, I think I was it that much in the seven. Like, I'm just curious. Sure. I mean, there were always the popular girls, the cheerleader girls, yeah, like, yeah. you know, the football guys. You know, I mean, I think that I think what I think the key is is start to realize that it's not anything outside of you. It's hmm. you. That you know, you can you can you know you can use and you know a dating app you can use you know but it's it's your relationship with it and and it's like that mm. that inner work for you right to know that you have a choice and how yeah. you show up you and and so it's you sitting back and thinking what is it that i really want to create maybe i'm you know am i am i interested in creating commitment or do i just want to go meet people and be like you know, and, and there's True. no right or wrong but i think yeah. it's being a little bit more deliberate in our lives a little more intentional as to what we do want to create so that we don't feel like we're that bag in the wind right being blown around right and because i think there's you know that's always going to be an option but it's deciding well you know i want if i want if I, if i want to create something more meaningful then what does that look like for me who am i being in that you know and i think again it's it's just being curious Mm. curious if I want to create more meaningful relationships then when I meet somebody I will tell you that my actually my son actually met his wife on tinder and so interestingly enough but so it uh -oh. does happen no I'm kidding but, no, I'm just <laughs> no saying, it happens yeah, yeah absolutely but, but you it's who you are when you meet that person yeah I understand right it, it's yeah. it's when you know do you ask questions are you real because again that's the choice you know there's room for all of the above and it's just knowing okay what's what's my choice and who am i you know kind of who am i committing to being and what do i want to create in my life and and being you know just being open to like okay i can see that if i if i show up this way it doesn't work you know sometimes i would look in the mirror and say how's that working out and i'd be like well not great okay well yeah. you might want to do it differently then that's all yeah, it's just, exactly it's not an end it's it's a new way of right, creating right new choice yeah absolutely in every moment absolutely yeah. how how um often um does i'm just curious because uh i know i don't know I guess it's not something new, but do you deal with or do you have clients who uh, were po polyamorous and things of that nature? And have you uh, consulted with clients like that? Because I'm always curious about that. Um, I think it's making a sort of a, resur a resurgence now, um, just in this day and age, or maybe it just never has gone away. But I'm, I'm always curious about that topic. Yeah, I mean, you know, honestly, I never see it as my role to judge anyone's choices as long as they're in alignment with. Oh, them. absolutely, and I mean right? by that, I don't mean. But I, but I do. I I mean, I haven't had a lot, just you know. But I I actually have had you know certainly many you know people who are polyamorous, people who you know certainly many gay couples, both male and female. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, my my attitude is, you know, what is it that you want? What do you want to create in your life? And mm. and helping you be in alignment with that. So. Mm. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think, you know, I've had um, had a client who um, actually used the pronouns we and they, you know, what's mm. kind of binary. So, you know, I, you know, I'm always open to anyone who, you know, honestly, to and you probably know this doing coaching work, you know, if you're if you're ready to claim your life, and you know, certainly someone who wants to still claim being a victim in their life. The, 
I, I'm only going to be able to help them so far, right? Because, you know, you have to be kind of open, right? To understand where, you know, look, and we all feel victimized at times, but as an adult, it's kind of realizing, okay, what am I believing and how, how am I giving my power away? How do you think for, I, I mean, how do you think for people who are adults and in your, in your opinion, you would posit that being an adult means no longer being victim, correct? I mean, not, not no longer, but that it's, if, if this is the choice that you do make, then there's going to be a set of concatenations that occur as a result of choosing. Well, I think that to me, the distinction as an adult is that you were old enough to make your own choices and to be on your own, right? You know, as a, when you're young, you don't really have, there's certain power you just don't have. Mm -hmm. And, and so I, you know, I always like to be really clear about that, you know, that, you know, that, you know, children, and certainly when you're young, you don't know, but once you're able to be self-sufficient, where you're no longer needing, right, and it doesn't mean you don't need anyone, but you're, you're self-sufficient as an adult, then, you know, and I think, I don't, you know, I certainly, I mean, we all feel victimized from time to time, right? And so, but to me, it's being curious about that because mm. when you believe that somebody else has to be different in order for you to feel better, you're kind of screwed. You can't control them, mm. right? And so that's what I mean by feeling victim. You know, it's like when you yeah. feel like like somebody else is holding power in your life, mm. it's, it's realizing what am I believing that's giving away that power? Because yeah. there is no law of assertion. There's only law of attraction. Mm. So, and, and again, this isn't about beating yourself up for it. I mean, I, you know, I'm always, you know, I did a lot of, you know, you know, over the years and once in a while I'll notice it and I'll be like, okay, well, then what's that about? You know, what am I believing here? That's because I know that, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not a victim here. I'm volunteering here. So <laughs> <laughs> I always say there's, you know, as an adult, we're not, you know, we're often, we, we, and we do, but we don't know it. We wouldn't do it on purpose. Yeah. No, I never would have done it on purpose. Yeah. And yet once I understood how I was the source and part of creating that, then I had the ability to do something about it. I mean, so that's what it's about. It's not about blaming yourself or it's about understanding that once you can understand yourself, how, you know, to be curious, how am I the source of this experience that I'm having? Then you can, then it sets you free because you can't do any, you can't change anybody else, but you, you have the ability to say, okay, well, what am I believing? Mm. What am I believing? What am I assuming to be true? Right. Well, I'm assuming, well, you know, they hold all the power or, you know, they're going to fire me or they're going to be mad at me or they're going to be upset with me. Well, maybe. Yeah. Right? I, think, I think that's an important distinction because it prevents a lot of our actions and our even uh, we, in the way in which we speak to ourselves that we think we already know the answer and the outcome before actually being out there in the world and saying what we wanted to say or doing what we wanted to do because we're already giving ourselves reasons as a result of the previous interactions. But it's like that one time that you can be true to yourself. There's our, uh, there's about a thousand or a million possibilities that could happen. Well, you know, and the greatest pain honestly is when we're out of alignment with our own integrity. 
And, you know, and that's what you begin to realize. That's really the pain. When you're saying yes and trying to be okay with something you're not really okay with, when you're saying yes, when you want to say no, when you're going along, when you're, allow when you, when you're allowing someone to treat you in a way that doesn't respect you, when you know that you deserve to be respected. And yet, you, you know, and, and look, it's, it's not easy sometimes, you know, I certainly needed help. So I, you know, no, it's, it's part of the reason why a lot of people who are in abusive relationships, like the first time they get abused, it's like, that's the choice. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm very, simplifying it very much so, but that's the time at which you're like, I either accept this or I don't. And it becomes so much harder over time to escape. And people wonder all the time, why wouldn't they leave? You know, after three years, it's like, exact that's the reason like three years of well it's hard and, and honestly the the hormones right the chemicals that are created when you are connected to somebody are similar to those that we experience in addiction with mm -hmm. drugs yeah. so it's 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 biochemical it, and you know i mean people it isn't easy absolutely yeah. it does take and and but you it takes building that muscle of self-respect yeah. It's, it, it takes building, you know, it's like the key to being able to not be in an abusive relationship where you're not respected is that you've got to know that what you're worthy of mm -hmm. you, you know, and, and you, sometimes you just need help with somebody helping you build that muscle of your own worthiness so that you realize that you, that you don't have to settle for that, that you can actually, that you deserve more that, mm -hmm. and that there can be more, that it's not your fault, that it's not about you. But right. it takes time. And it, like I said, you know, there's bonds that literally have to be broken and, you know, chemically. So, you know, people will say, I, you know, I say, it's not your imagination. It isn't easy. But it's, you know, let's build this knowing, right? You know, it's like we want to raise our girls and, and boys to know that they shouldn't spend a minute in a room with someone who treats them disrespectfully. Yeah. Right, that they are worthy of being respected, that they deserve that. And so it's, you know, to me, that's, that's part of, you know, I feel like part of my mission is just, you know, to help people know what's actually true about you, what's mm -hmm. actually true about you and what's possible for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's, something that helped me um, was a nonviolent communication by mm -hmm. Marshall Rosenberg. Right. And I, I remember what you said earlier, which is that, when you said, I didn't know how I felt. I didn't even have a, a word to use. So when I went through um, courses of his, uh, of his program and I started to discover feelings, wasn't that I wasn't um, aware of my feelings. I just didn't know how to speak it out into the world right. to my wife. And I'm like, when, when you have this ability to, because for Marshall Rosenberg, everything is the language he says everything is the language of please and thank you. And that if you actually love someone, all you do when you're, when you're engaged with them, you want to speak the language of love. And the language of love is, if they love you, is um, you letting this person know how you feel. And if, if you let them know how you feel and their actions don't change, then it's not that they don't love you or it's the fact that then this person probably doesn't understand or maybe you haven't said it properly, but if really things didn't change, then perhaps it's not the relationship because the love right. that now that you're saying, I feel sad um, when you do X, you know, I would request that you do Y. Saying that to somebody compared to saying, 
you know, when you come home, you're always angry and you're pissed off. And it's like this person in their head may, may be saying, I, I, when I come home, I don't feel angry. I don't feel pissed off. That's what you think. And it's like, oh my God. Like, that's why you said when language is so important and the feelings, et cetera, and describing that. Yes. And, you know, truth without love is pretty abusive, isn't it? Right. People yeah. say, well, it's true. <laughs> right. And so, but it's truth also realizing, love. you know, I always say people say, well, they don't care about what I need. And it's like, well, have you ever really told them what yeah. you need? Not from a place of shame. Right. And the truth is, if you tell somebody what you need from your heart and they don't care, they're not your person. It doesn't mean that your needs are inappropriate. It doesn't yeah, yeah. mean that somehow there's something wrong with you. It just means they're not your person and not everybody's going to be your person and you're not going to be everybody's person. And that doesn't mean that your needs or your feelings are inappropriate. And, you know, and I think part of it, you know, and I, I actually re refer people a lot to the feelings and needs inventory from the Center for Nonviolent Communication. I yeah. send that to clients all the time to help them name better name their feelings and their needs and and because I think yeah you know and it's in and it's realizing well I I tell them what I need well let's talk about how do you communicate that right like you were just saying do you because often we wait and we communicate it by the time we're communicating it we're frustrated we're angry we're feeling unseen we're feeling unheard and so that person doesn't hear what we say they just hear but, you know, they hear that <laughs> I'm being attacked. I got it wrong again. And, you know, and again, walls instead of bridges, I would say, you know, and so it is learning. You know, there's so many tools once you, you know, once you learn the inner tools, you know, one of the things I tell people all the time, loving someone else shouldn't leave you out. Yeah. It shouldn't leave you out. Doesn't mean, so it's, it, it's, if you're feeling used or victimized or angry, you need to, you, that's something to be curious about. Like, what's the going on? You know, what am I saying yes to? Where am I not having a voice, right? You just want to be curious about it because in healthy love, in partnership, there's two people in that relationship. Yeah. Not one, two, two people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Prim, I want to thank you for taking the time today to uh, tell people about one, love, two, about the relationships that they can cultivate with themselves, um, three, your journey, how you came to be, and four, you know, that life is possible and life is affirmative. And if you are open to it, you can enjoy uh, a really nice existence with others, with yourself, if that may be. Prim, if people want to find your content and get in contact with you, would you mind just uh, stating it, uh, you know, your website, Absolutely. My website is just my name, Prem, P-R-E-M, Glidden, G-L-I-D-D-E-N.com. And all my contact information is on, on there. Um, also, just excited to announce that I'm about to, my first book is about to come out on Amazon next week. Uh, it's called Opening to Possibility, Becoming Available to Love and Be Loved. I'll so, be definitely uh, picking up a copy and I'll definitely link that in the description <laughs> as well. Oh, thank you. So yes, no, if I can be of support to anyone, please don't hesitate to reach out. I, I know what's possible for you and I know who you are. So thank you, Prem, so much. And it's for so your great time to here. meet you and, you know, face to face. And Absolutely. It's so great to meet you too. And I'm glad we had this conversation and uh, I'm sure it won't be the last. All right. Thank you, my dear one. So great to meet you. And I look forward to future conversations. Absolutely, Prem. Thank All you right. so much. All right. Enjoy. Take good care. All right. Okay, bye -bye. Bye -bye.